It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to the Wayne's Comics Podcast. It's time for episode 155, and have I got a treat for you. I've got a great interview with Brian Talbot, creator of many great works, including The Tale of One Bad Rat, The Adventures of Luther Arkwright, and particularly we're going to talk about his ongoing series called Granville. The latest hardcover has just come out, and that's called Granville Noel, based around the Christmas season. We talk about how the characters came to be and what kinds of things he has in mind for them and how long the series is going to continue, as well as other things that he's working on. There's a lot to get to, so let's get on with the show. name's Talbot. Brian Talbot. The Badger is back! does it better. I want to welcome to the podcast, Brian Talbot. Thank you. Oh, it's good to have you here. Good to talk with you because you're the creator of Granville Noel, a book that has just come out from over here in the States from Dark Horse. And it's one of the great books, I think, out this year. I love that these Granville stories always come out in hardcover. Is that anglicized? It should be Granvi or something? No, it's Granville. Granville. Okay. Okay. Because um, in the actual story, if you actually heard them speaking, it would be Granville. Mm-hmm. But you probably notice I have this conceit in the story <laughs> that uh, everything you see, everything you read in the balloons mm-hmm. is actually translated from French. Okay. You know, okay. So, it's, <laughs> so even when they're in England, they're, they're actually speaking French, but it's, it's translated into English for the balloons. That's why I always pronounce it Granville. Do you want to talk a little bit about where the concept for the Granville series came from? Yeah, I mean, I, I like them in hardcover. I mean, I don't know if they look like American kids' uh, annuals, but they, they're meant to look a bit like you know, Victorian to about 1930s children's annuals, almost, mm. even though they're for oh. adults. I'm just trying to keep that sort of thing, because they had a lot of anthropomorphic characters in them, those stories. And as you know, so is Granville. Or actually, strictly speaking, it should be zoomorphic if it's uh, uh, animals. But yeah, mm-hmm. the the reason why they're animals and the original inspiration came directly from uh, Jean-Ignace Isidore Girard, who is a Victorian... Well, he, he wasn't... Um, he, was, he lived in the first half of the 19th century in France. 
and he did a lot of these illustrations and satirical cartoons yeah. um, showing animals you know, in then contemporary dress. And yeah. they were satirizing public uh, fashion and mores and, um, you know, public uh, social habits and things like that, the French uh, of the time. And he used to sign these illustrations, J.J. Granville. Hmm. That, that was his, uh, or Granville, that was his uh, nom de plume. And I've got a book about it with his stuff in that I've had for decades. Mm-hmm. And uh, shortly after I finished Alice in Sunderland, I was looking through it. And because he was a big influence, you know, on John Tenniel, who did the Alice in, in Wonderland illustrations, the original hmm. ones. And mm-hmm. I was looking through this book and it just suddenly occurred to me, well, Granville, that could be the nickname of Paris in an alternative world where it's the biggest city in the world, in a world populated by animal characters. Mm-hmm. And it just, that was, the, that was the idea. I thought about it for about a week. And after mm-hmm. a week, I just roughly plotted out the first story mm-hmm. and then sat down and typed it. And <laughs> I typed it all out in five or six days. It was amazing. It, just, it was like taking dictation. Uh, I wish the rest had come like that because, I mean, usually with graphic novels, I spend years thinking about them. Mm-hmm. And this one just came in a complete flood of, you know, inspiration. It was, it was, it was great. I could hear the characters talking and everything. Wow. Well, that's great. Now, so uh, you write the script then before you do the art. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well before. Actually, the, the fifth one, uh, which I'm hoping to start next summer, mm. uh, start drawing. I actually wrote the script for that over two years ago now. Wow. But it's, you know, managed to fitting it in. But that's one of the things I've been doing with the Granville books, actually. As, as I, after I finished the first one, I wrote the script for the second one. And yeah. then I've sort of been getting ahead. So, um, <laughs> you know, by the time I'd finished the second one, I'd already written the script for the third one. I mean, the fourth one, the Granville Noel, which uh, I've just came out. I'd, I'd actually written the script about two years before I started work on that. Mm. Wow. Well, it's great stuff. The stories are so interesting, and the characters are so uh, fleshed out and believable. You know, you like LeBrock, for example, the inspector. He is just somebody that I just feel like I know after all this time. He, he has certain ways of handling situations. Because he's a badger, he does things like a badger might in this, that yeah. circumstance. <laughs> Which are like. good things about using animals, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. he has the deductive abilities of Sherlock Holmes, but being a badger, he's a bit of a bruiser, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he's a great character, and I like the way you draw him too, because he's got this. Uh, it's it's hard to know if if a badger could, you know, be like in that situation. He really does look like that to me, and so I really like the way that you draw it. I, I think that you've got the character just superbly down as far as the writing goes, and also as a, the art, as, as the way he appears. Oh, cheers. Yeah, I, I, I always knew he'd be working class as well from the beginning, because mm-hmm. uh, badgers uh, over here in children's stories, they very often tend to be sort of working class characters, you know, sort of minors mm-hmm. almost. And um, I do have a set of children's um, uh, Woodland Snap from the 30s. Mm. It has this uh, this uh, badger who's obviously a minor uh, on his way back from work, you know, with a uh, helmet mm-hmm. on and everything. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because a lot of the times when you draw the characters, they look like human beings might look. There is resemblance. Like his assistant, for example. His assistant looks very much like what an, a, 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 a smaller assistant type guy would look like. Mm. Even though I mean, he's a mouse. Really, right. I, I mean, uh, some 
people doing anthropomorphic stuff do the full sort of anthropomorphic, casuomorphic uh, sort of model. So they, you know, the characters, although they're walking on two legs, they do have sort of paws and tails and things like that. I'm actually using the model based on the set of, very famous set of British children's uh, comics over here called Rupert the Bear. Mm. Uh, this has been around since 1914, uh, sorry, 1920, uh, this mm. set as newspaper strip. But mm. the albums have been coming out since the 30s. And wow. um, they have this sort of convention with, basically it's humans with, with animals' heads and mm. everything about them is human apart from, apart from the head, which gives mm. the, the character. Mm-hmm. And it's so interestingly done. And Now, when you're coming to write the stories of the books, I'm just kind of curious because... This one in particular deals with a very specific subject, and that's religion. Mm. And the other ones, too, there are very specific subjects or mysteries that are going on into it. How do you get the inspiration, or where does the story come from? Is it is this something that, that as you go along, something kind of presents itself to you, as opposed to like seeing is maybe somebody suggesting something to you? No, I, you know, you never quite know where the, where the ideas come from and the story. Uh, as I said, the first one came as a flood of inspiration, and uh, after I got the title and the idea of the setting, I thought, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I've never done, probably done a detective story. I'd like to do a detective story because I'm a big fan of crime fiction. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's, you know, he's investigating uh, a murder in the story. Mm-hmm. And um, I, th- I thought of the first one, really, as a bit like um, it's sort of Sherlock Holmes directed by Quentin Tarantino. Almost, <laughs> and the second one, it's a bit like Sherlock Holmes directed by Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> you know, it has these set pieces. You know, mm-hmm. Hitchcock used to have these set pieces in with, you know, on big sets and stuff like that. Uh, it, has, it has these things uh, sort of going mm-hmm. on. There's, there's several nods to Hitchcock in that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the third one, of course, the, the theme behind. I mean, the, 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 I think it's pastiching is uh, the James Bond films in the back in the back of it. You know. Mm-hmm. In the back mm-hmm. of the story. Mhm. So, uh, where did the idea come about doing talking about religion? Then did was did you had you had this concept in your mind about dealing with how religion impacts on us? No, that was it's, that? Not, it's not as much about religion actually. I think uh, as about religious cults, mm. you know, and things like Scientology and stuff like that. I mean, there's lots in the stories in that cult in the story that I've actually just, you know, I've used, it's actually been used before in really religious cults, you know, mm-hmm. some phrases and some of the things, you know, the sort of programming they do and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. So, and it's not just about cult, like religion, I don't think, it's not very, just about religious cults, the fourth one, mm-hmm. uh, Noel, it's, um, it's also about con men, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's about con men and fascism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so roll them into, roll them into one. Mm-hmm. You probably won't know this, but the, you know the the, the, the unicorn, who's, who's like this messianic, uh, mm-hmm. uh, charismatic leader of the cult. Mm-hmm. Uh, his second in command, who's mm-hmm. called Nicholas Griffin. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, he, he's actually visually based on the Tenniel's Griffin from Under mm. the Looking Glass. Oh, really? He, if you notice, he's chubbier and he has sort of wall eyes. Mm-hmm. And he looks like the leader of the British National Party, which is a fascist organisation in Britain. <laughs> uh, called, he's called Nicholas Griffin, Nicholas Griffin, mm-hmm. rather. So mm-hmm. he's a reference to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, although actually, he's, I think he's lost his job in the recent times, but uh, mm-hmm. he's lost his post. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. So what made me think it might be about religion is because you do some graphics in there that are based on religious uh, artwork. Like, for example, there's a scene when, when Apollo was surrounded by all these people and they're talking about going somewhere. And it looks very much like the painting of Jesus at the, the Last, Last Supper. Supper. Yeah, it's, based, it's actually directly based on, on Da Vinci's uh, Last Supper. I was actually yeah. quite pleased with that because each one of the characters at the table, they're actually saying something that, that suits the attitude that they're in. Mm. You know, mm. they, uh, they're all in these different sort of uh, strange attitudes. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I've been doing that throughout the books, actually, in a way, not just about religion, but uh, there's a lot of references to 19th century art mm-hmm. in the Gamble stories. That mm-hmm. it's not necessarily for you to, you know, know what, <laughs> recognize them, to understand the story, appreciate the story. But mm-hmm. there's the sort of Easter eggs are there for, you know, if people do recognize them, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's uh, an added bonus. I mean, in Noel, there's. Um, there's uh, one big panel across the top of a page where they're walking through the snow, Lebrock and uh, Chief Inspector Rocher, you know, they're mm-hmm. uh, the walking through the snow, and it's based on, on a Edward Caillebot painting called Rue de Paris en Tant de Pluie, and mm-hmm. uh, it's a quite famous painting. And there's another panel later on that's based on a, a pre-Raphaelite painting mm-hmm. by Holman Hunt called uh, The Awakening Conscience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been doing this all the way through, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, it it really stood out this time, particularly to me. And I noticed the thing. Well, even on the on the, the cover, for example, he's Apollo's in something of a Christ-like uh, crucifix position. That's right. He's not crucified. He's, he has his arms out, like you know, mm-hmm. yeah, like yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I was this... fascinated by the idea of of the unicorn mm-hmm. being a, a, a religious figure because. I don't know why people have this thing about unicorns, but unicorns are pure and, and uh, they're magical and everything. And all they are is a horse with a horn on its head. <laughs> you know, and I thought, what what happens when you, you, know, you put a horn on a horse? It suddenly becomes a magical creature. And as you know in the story, he has this sort of uh, charisma. He has this real animal magnetism. And the witches are true, but uh, um, you know when he talks, people want to believe him, want to want to want to love him, they want to believe every word he says, mm-hmm. and um, it's all to do with his with his horn, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I get a kick in one place in the dialogue. He even compares himself to Christ. Yeah, that's right. Well, he believes he's Christ reincarnated. Yes. Mm-hmm. So well, I think that's the great thing about using animals as characters. You know, you mm-hmm. you. You can choose your animal to give the character. I mean, you see a crocodile standing there with a gun. You know, he's going to, not going to be up to any, any good. You know, mm-hmm. you're not going to trust him or a snake or something like that. Um, I've done this. I've done this quite a few times during the stories. You know, you've chosen the right sort of animal to to portray certain qualities, and it's a bit like the, you know, the Italian comedy dell'arte. Mm-hmm. The, the, the theatre that uses mm-hmm. masks, you know, mm-hmm. the, the actors, they use masks to represent the character. And these characters, are, uh, the, the, the people like uh, Pantalon and Columbine and Piero, and they wear a mask that symbolises the character. And I think it's a bit it's similar. So I think it must be similar to no theatre in Japan as well, but I don't know much about that. Mm-hmm. But basically, they're, they're wearing masks, they're wearing animal masks that, that tell you something about their personality. Mm-hmm. Well, as I said, some of the, the animals actually resemble or have a. It makes me think of a human 
person, you know, a human face as I look at them. And, and you know, it, it's a great job of doing that. You get not only the personality, but you kind of get the human. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it can be a bit hard sometimes. That's one of the tricky bits, you know, giving the animals a human expression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good. And the other thing, too, I'm kind of fascinated, too, is, you know, you've got animals in here, but you also have humans. Mm. And humans are in sort of the lower tier of society as it goes along there, which is really kind of a nice parable for us to look at as we see, as we treat each other. And we we see humans being treated by animals that way. That's right. Yes, I, I wanted to do that from the beginning. The uh, Yes, the humans in the stories uh, are second-class citizens with no citizenship rights and um, they're really sort of a, a, an underclass who do all the sort of menial work and uh, the Parisians call them dough faces mm-hmm. it's a derogatory term for them so it's basically I'm talking about racism you know and they mm-hmm. in the story they sort of start doing you know um, marches for equal rights and things like that and of course in Gamble Noel you know the political party that starts to build that they're trying to build on, on the fear of humans Mm-hmm. The fear of the other, the fear of the foreigner, you know, the, mm-hmm. and um, which is what you know they did in Nazi Germany and mm-hmm. anywhere there's been fascist uh, for states. Mm-hmm. And LeBrock actually works with a human in, in the, the story. story. Yeah, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. as, as, you, as, you, as you've seen in the story, the um, you know at the beginning of the story, he's as prejudiced almost as anybody else, you know, about humans. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. getting to meet this human and uh, who's an American called Chance Lucas and, and working with him they develop a relationship I mean, it becomes a bit like a buddy movie doesn't it it's a bit like a, a buddy movie and, uh, and they're sort of friends by the end so he respects humans by the end of it mm-hmm. and the character Chance Lucas is actually a riff on a famous French uh, comic character called Lucky Luke I don't mm-hmm. have heard of Lucky Luke mm-hmm. uh, so mm-hmm. this character is called uh, Chance Lucas well Chance in French means look, so it's uh, lucky Luke, basically. I mean, I've done that a few times in the story. There's references to famous uh, European, uh, um, French com- uh, and, 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 and Belgian comic characters mm-hmm. in, in, in the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Tintin, Tim, you know, Tantan is, is referenced, mm-hmm. or Snowy is rather his dog. Mm-hmm. And um, you know characters like Spirou uh, and uh, Becassine, uh, the famous French uh, mm-hmm. cartoon mm-hmm. guys, they've appeared as little sort of pastiches. Mm-hmm. But so you're educating us as well as entertaining us. Well, you, do. I mean, you don't. <laughs> I, I, I imagine most readers won't recognise them, but they're just there for the people who do recognise these comic characters. Actually, in the third one, there's a scene where there's um, a human civil rights um, march in the street. And LeBrock and the psychic uh, Ratsy, uh, Roderick Ratsy, are chasing this assassin through this crowd. And there's one panel where, if you look closely at some of the characters, there's uh, you can see little Lulu in, in, is one of them, and uh, Archie, you know, Archie and Jughead, and uh, a couple of British comic characters are there as well. Wow. <laughs> so pay to pay attention to your books here when you're doing when you're reading them. Well, yeah, the, I, I, I try. I try. I always try and say something sort of serious, make a serious point in, in you know, as I go along. But mainly the, the sort of fun detective thrillers. Mm-hmm. Well, there's an interesting contrast as I was reading the book that I really enjoyed between Billy, 
who is sort of LeBrock's girlfriend and all and the daughter of Hannah who is uh Hannah happens to be his like uh, his maid or the 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 it's sort of like you're right like Holmes has a yeah, lady, he's, that, lady. Yeah. he's a sort of uh, Mrs. Doyle um, uh, mm-hmm. so that's the name Mrs. Doyle Mrs. Hudson uh, type character yes because it's interesting because Billy reacts well there's an apparent reaction but she's her reaction is somewhat different from Hannah's daughter which I, I really like the fact that you're showing the difference, how different people react to the same person or the same stimulus to that. Right. Yeah. I really like that. I, I was fascinated by the fact that, uh, you know, that, that Billy gets sent in and she apparently, you know, uh, ends up in, in, in the Apollo's thrall. Mm. And I really like the fact that it wasn't quite that, it, it didn't turn out quite that way. And you still have, uh, Hannah's daughter. Struggling to believe and struggling to be, you know, faithful and to be in the inner circle with yeah. him. I just thought that was kind of an interesting comparison between the two of them. That just because they were there and they were brought in, they reacted very differently. And it's just like real people. When people are become involved in these kinds of things, their reaction isn't quite the same. So you were teaching us about that too. That not everybody's going to react to this exactly the same way. No, no, and as you see, LeBrock reacts differently as well. Really, at first he is sort of enthralled, but uh, mm. he, he works out how to get around it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very good because the the story is really en- engrossing. And you know, the moment I started to read it, I was in it until I was completely through because I, I had to see how it works. And there's a nice little surprise at the end too, which I don't want to talk too much about. Mm. But LeBrock's relationship with Billy kind of takes a significant step forward, That's right, which yeah. is kind of fun because we've seen Billy now for several. Uh, yes, he's been since the second one. It's been uh, the relationship's been slowly, slowly developing. Yeah, um, she's yeah. she's a fun character. <laughs> yeah, she's she's great. You're right. She's got she's very strong-willed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's the perfect one for LeBrock because LeBrock is also sort of a strong-willed person. The two of them are going to buck heads and they're going to love it because that's what yeah. they enjoy doing. But uh, I do think that this fourth one, Noel does sort of, it has sort of raised the bar on the whole series, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's improved a lot. I think the best one is going to be the fifth one, which is um, which will probably be the last one, I should think. Oh, really? Oh, I'm sorry to hear that because I've been enjoying them. I hope they go on for. Yeah, well, they just they take me too long. They take me so long. That style, it's so time consuming. It mm. takes up to about four days for a page, and wow. um, you know, it almost it, well, it does. It takes longer to do the computer coloring than to do either the pencils or the inks. Um, but it's like fully painted digital artwork. Mm-hmm. But uh, it does take me a long time, and especially after the fifth one, it's going to be. You know, they've all been up to now. They've all been about. Uh, they've all been ninety-six pages mm-hmm. long. The stories. Uh, the mm-hmm. fifth one. It's going to be. It's something like one hundred and sixty-six pages. Wow. So it's over half as long again. And mm-hmm. um, although the st- all the different books, the different stories have been standalone stories, mm-hmm. uh, there has been an overarching. You know, there's a story arc that's been building, and it all comes to fruition in, in the fifth one, mm-hmm. uh, which is going to be. I, I, I think I think it's definitely well. I think I can definitely say it's the, it's the darkest one of the of the five, but it's also hmm. quite uh, exciting. There's a lot of action in it. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. You don't know the name of it yet. You haven't announced that yet. Yeah, I'm not announcing the name yet. No. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> because it's going to be two or three years before it's out, so there's not much. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Because I, might... at the moment, I'm working on Mary's next book. You know, I do these books with my wife as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know about wow. those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to tell people about while well, well, you're bringing that up? Do you want to talk about a little bit about that? And, and yeah, what that it's like? just that, uh, well, you know, we've been married for 40 um, odd years, and um, to see me drawing comics, and she's, she's read the occasional graphic novel, one of the ones I've suggested. So she's mm-hmm. absorbed quite a lot, I think. And about uh, five or six years ago, I mean, she was teaching in a, a university, she was a lecturer at university, and she took her retirement. Mm-hmm. And uh, I suggested to her, you know, why don't you write a graphic novel? And I can, mm-hmm. I'll illustrate it. Mm-hmm. And she said, what, shall I write it? What, what, what subject? And I said, well, autobiographical. Graphic novels are very big now. Why don't you do an autobiographical one about the, you know, your very stormy relationship with your father? Mm-hmm. And she did. Mm-hmm. And brought in James Joyce and all sorts of things. And uh, modern dance and um, other things. And it, it became sort of half her autobiography and half mm-hmm. a biography of uh, Lucia Joyce, uh, James Joyce's daughter, and it became mm-hmm. the first British graphic novel to win the major literary award. Mm-hmm. It won uh, two years ago, it won the uh, Costa uh, Award, which is uh, mm-hmm. one of the top British book awards. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, we were on, it was amazing, we were on television mm-hmm. and went to the big ceremony and everything, um, mm-hmm. met lots of stars. Uh, yeah, I, actually, I was actually very pleased to meet. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. Dave Gilmore, Pink Floyd, you know, lead uh, mm-hmm. guitarist, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was uh, for a brief time, you know, this sort of sparkling showbiz type situation mm-hmm. <laughs> over here. Mm-hmm. And anyway, uh, her next book was uh, Sally Heathcote's Suffragette, which is all about the suffragette movement, mm-hmm. which I think has just been published in in America by Dark Horse, mm. published Great. here by Jonathan Cape. Uh, and that came out, well, it's just come out this month in, in America. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was Great. a three-way collaboration with uh, Mary and I and um, the veteran uh, illustrator Kate Charlesworth, who did a beautiful job on the finished artwork, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm mm-hmm. currently actually drawing Mary's third book, so mm-hmm. I have to do this before I can uh, get stuck into the next uh, okay. <laughs> So you keep busy, sounds like. Mm. Well, I do. If I'm at home, I'm, I, I I work seven days a week. Uh, oh, wow. 10, 10 to 12 hours a day. Wow. But uh, this wow. last few months, it's been a bit hectic because we've been all over the place uh, promoting mm-hmm. Sally Heathcote. Um, mm-hmm. You know, lots of literary festivals. Mm-hmm. We actually get invited now to more literary festivals and, and comic conventions. Mm, well, that's unusual. I would expect you'd get involved, invited to a lot of comic conventions. Yeah, a few, a few, but we actually get invited more to, to literary festivals these days. Cause mm. I don't know about in America, but the, the market for graphic novels has been really growing a lot in Britain, mm. and they're becoming a very popular uh, form of book. Do you, do you have an idea as to why that's happening? Because there are so many good graphic novels around these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. I mean, I don't know if you remember, you remember the first graphic novel boom, you know, in the 80s. Um, mm-hmm. one, I mean, the general public started to get interested, interested in them then, but once you've read half a dozen or 15 of the very best ones, mm-hmm. there weren't very many around to read. But mm-hmm. since then, they've been created sort of exponentially every mm-hmm. year. There seems to be more and more graphic novels produced until we're in a position now where we have a 
whole range of uh, quality graphic novels. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got this whole canon of quality work. Uh, so there's enough, to, in, you know, in any genre, in any, any style, from sort of abstract to photorealist. Um, so there's enough quality stuff now to sustain this uh, this boom, and I think that's the reason. Um, as well, I mean, we're one of the as well as the rising the autobiographical and biographical mm-hmm. graphic novels, which a lot mm-hmm. of people are interested in in biographies. Mm-hmm. Um, well, one of the things, well, like for example, your books, they have a, a, a clear beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. You know, if you buy like a monthly comic, it's oftentimes it's just the same thing going on month after month after month after mm-hmm. month. There's really no end. And it, like your books, you have a satisfying ending. Things come to a conclusion. And I think a lot of graphic novels give people a play, a way to do that, mm-hmm. a way to end it and, and have a constructive story that concludes and wraps up and gives us some a satisfaction rather than just the ongoing thing that happens. Yeah, well, Do you think the, that's part of The regular superior comics tend to be, I mean, there's a huge sort of soap opera aspect to them. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. means that just go on and on and on and continue going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know if somebody's killed, you know, they can imagine that they probably will be back again within six months. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, is that ever true? We, we're we're seeing now Captain America, and they're changing Captain America and Thor over here in Marvel. And everybody, you know, I, I always want to say to people, let's start a, a pool, you know, and kind of say who can get as closest to when they get back to their uh, to their identities. Because you know, Captain America, of course, when the next movie comes out, they're going to want to have the, him back as Steve Rogers. So that's going to happen. So anyway, I just find that. But in, in a sense, you have the freedom to do whatever you want with your characters because you don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. You're basically doing your thing, and you've got your your characters, and and you can shape them and move them into different places just because you know that you don't have to w- you worry about what other mediums are doing with your characters. That's right. Yeah. yeah. yeah no. And be also, anyway. also, my editor, um, because the Grand Real books. Uh, they did the commissions by a British publisher and, and mm-hmm. Dark Horse reprints. And, but my editor over here, you know, he just lets me do what I want, <laughs> really. Mm-hmm. He's very hands-off, you know. So mm-hmm. it's great. It's like sort of self-expression in a way. I, I can do exactly what I want with the, with the characters. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that you do in the in the Granville books that I, always smile, I have to smile at, and I, the, the British sensibility always makes me laugh, it's very, you know, in Americans, we, we don't look at it, things quite the way that you all do. And it's always, for me, a great experience to see and get into uh, the way other groups of people think. So it's one of the reasons I like Granville so much. I was so fascinated by the fact that France actually conquered Britain <laughs> in the books. And, you know, you being British and everything, I was just sort of like, you know, what is that? Are you trying to say something about the British culture or is this something that is – it's just something that because it might, it's likely not to happen that it's fun to explore something like that. There was were kind of a, couple of different, a couple of different reasons for it. I mean, the first, first and foremost, it was when I thought that with the original idea, I thought that mm-hmm. Granville, which is nicknamed for Paris, mm-hmm. you know, it, it had to be the biggest city in the world. I thought, well, how, how come Paris is the biggest city in the world? And I thought that was pretty easy. Yeah, they, they Napoleon won the Napoleonic Wars, mm-hmm. you know, 200 years ago. And there's a conspiracy into this huge globe-spanning empire, mm-hmm. including conquering, conquering Britain. 
So yeah. that was a that was a bit of a, a no-brainer, really. You know, I thought mm. uh, that's the obvious way that France could be so big if they'd mm. won back then, and you know they could well have done. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and also the thing about these stories, it's like turn, as you said, turning things on its on the head. A lot of the things, which is why the mm-hmm. humans are under the animals mm-hmm. in the stories, but. In the Gamble stories, Britain, it doesn't have a queen, it doesn't have, uh, it, it, it's a socialist republic, you know, mm-hmm. which is like the opposite of what it actually is now, you know, it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's um, you know, completely ruled by capitalism in Britain. It's, um, mm-hmm. So it's sort of, you know, turning things on its, on, on its head. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Granville Noel is just a, a, a continuation of, of, of a terrific series. The Granville series, to me, is, has been one of the wonderful ones, and I, every, I keep my eyes out for it because I want to make sure I get the next one when it comes out because they've all been such fun reads and such great things and learning experiences, too, like we've talked a little bit about. I really like the fact that sometimes you learn something when you read a book and so, you're know, not just entertained, as we said, but educated, and those the Granville series has just been a wonderful book, and I wish to, uh, you could keep this going for quite a lot longer, but I highly encourage anybody, if you haven't read them so far, be sure to go back and pick them up. They're available here in the States and over in the U.K. The Granville series is a wonderful, wonderful series of books, and Granville Noel is the latest of the, of the series, and it's just come out, so this is your chance to get in it. But you, you can actually read Granville Noel without reading the previous books, but you won't get quite as much out of it as, if you do that. I try to design them to be standalone, as I said, a bit like uh, the tinted albums. You know, mm-hmm. you can, you, you like, a bit like the old, I suppose, old TV shows and things. You know, like Star Trek, mm-hmm. we used to be able to watch them in any, any order, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, they're not quite like that. There is a story arc uh, mm-hmm. in, in the background. Each mm-hmm. book is set about a month after the last one. Oh, I didn't know that. that that's good to know. Yeah, so the first one's set in September, and mm-hmm. you know, by this point, the fourth one, we've reached uh, December. Mm, that's why we know Noel Christmas. Yeah. And that's great. Oh, so the next one will be, what, in January? Yeah, when it comes? yeah that's right. Okay, so that'll be good. Okay, well, boy, I love these books. It's so good to talk with you and talk about those books. I did want to mention one thing before we come to a conclusion real quickly. And there's a book of yours that I read a while back called The Tale of One... Yes, that book was so far ahead of its time, the storytelling was, and the, the content of the story, and what you were dealing with. And I'm not going to spoil it here, but I just want people to know, if you want to read a book that's ahead of its time, read this book. Because it's a subject matter now that we're discussing now, but it wasn't back in the time when you wrote the book, but mm. you were ahead of the curve with that. So The Tale of One Bad Rat, which is also available over here, it, it's a, do you want to give like a basic premise? A basic yeah, summary it, it came out over 20 years ago, that book, mm. in the early wow. 90s originally. Mm-hmm. But uh, the theme of the book is Beatrix Potter. I don't know who, if Beatrix Potter's well known over there. Mm. You know, she wrote The Tale of Peter Rabbit and things like that. It's not an anthropomorphic book. What it is, it's a book about the psychological after-effects of child sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. And uh, we follow this, um, this girl called, called Helen Potter, who's run away from home mm-hmm. because she's been abused. And she basically, she has this sort of undefined link, sort of synchronistic link, if you like, with Beatrix Potter, mm-hmm. and sort of follows in her footsteps. And it's through this link that uh, leads to her sort of coming to terms with herself. Mm. Uh, that's, that's, that's it basically yeah. 
Because people weren't talking about this subject back in the early 90s. And I remember when I read it thinking, wow, this is just like a story that needs to be told and that people need to be aware of. And I just think that was a great book, too. I I see your name someplace. I'm after the book because I'm sure it's going to be a good story and good art. I I think it's this month that Dark Horse actually published The Adventures of Luther Outright um, Mm -hmm. in the new edition. It's mm. called the Artright Integral, the Artright uh, Integral, uh, mm. because it's the that's the French name for these albums when you have more than one story, and, and it's Luther Artright and the sequel, Heart of Empire, in one mm. nice big hardback book. It's about 550 pages long, and he reprints these two graphic novels alongside uh, a gallery of about 20 Artright images and uh, a 10-page interview with Steve Bissett about mm-hmm. Artright. Um, mm. yeah, yeah, if you've not seen that, you might be interested in that, because it was the first yeah. British graphic novel uh, mm. published in the... Well, Very it, cool. It began serialization in 1978. Very cool. Well, I love your work. I enjoy both the writing and the art. And it's rare that I can say that about uh, comics creators, that I like both aspects of it. But, uh, Brian, you do such a wonderful job. Uh, this Granville Noel is a wonderful addition and keeps the, the Granville series going particularly well. And I can't wait for your other stuff to come out. I'm just Once I get done, done reading your book, I, I want the next one to come out so I can get into that. So it's wonderful stuff. And I wish you a lot of success continued going forward. And I'll just keep buying your stuff as long as you keep making it. Great. I like to hear that. need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored. I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. Now at Majorspoilers.com. That's it for this episode. Be back next week when I'll have another great interview with another wonderful comics creator. But until then, keep reading your comics.